Okay, so um, we're still in John chapter 14 this week, and if ever there was a single chapter with a fitting message for the troubled times that we're living in, I think this chapter would be a good contender. It's got comfort and it's got reassurance. So we're going to read from where we finished last week. Um, so we're in John chapter 14 and we are going to read from verse 15. John 14 verse 15. Jesus speaking. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes, so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So that's our, our passage for this week. <clears throat> Last week, we had the encouragement of verse 2 to not let our hearts be troubled because Jesus has gone to prepare a place in heaven for us. This week, the encouragement is again, not to let our hearts be troubled. That's uh, verse 27, because God has prepared a place for himself, not in heaven, but inside you and me. So there's a place for us and a place in us. And in both places, we have the opportunity to enjoy the closeness and the presence of God. The main theme in what we've read today is, of course, the promise and the work of the Holy Spirit. If you've got a modern version, you've probably got that as the heading for the, for the text. Uh, the, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, it says in my 
in my version. So it's, we're talking about the promise and the work of the Holy Spirit, the person who lives inside every believer. And there's a lot more that we could say about the subject than what I'm going to touch on today. But if we just limit our thoughts to what we, what we learn from verse 14, let's start by thinking about who he is. And perhaps the first thing um, that we should say, although I'm, I'm sure you, you know this um, very well already, is that the Holy Spirit's actually a person. Sometimes people think that the Holy Spirit is just God's influence or, or perhaps the Spirit is just a part of God in the same way that you and I have a spirit. But of course, in our case, our body and spirit are all part of the same person. The Holy Spirit's not like that. He's a distinct person. And you'll notice that he's referred to in the passage that we've read and elsewhere in scripture um, with the personal pronouns, he and him. Um, he's never described as an it. The Godhead, God, is, is made up of three persons. We have the Father, we have the Lord Jesus, the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. And that's why we sometimes refer to God as a trinity, isn't it? Trinity isn't a biblical term, but we've kind of started to use that word, or it's been used for, for many years, of course. It was first in the Latin translation of the Bible. Um, we refer to God as a trinity because he is three people. And that's why in the story of creation that we, um, that we see in Genesis 1 and verse 26, in particular, we, we read, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. God is made up of three separate people and the Holy Spirit is one of the three. They're separate, but they're also very much together. They're united in, in purpose and character and, 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 and holiness. Does that make sense? Of course, it gets a bit more difficult when we start um, to try and think um, in, in more detail about the Holy Spirit. And it's, and it's certainly more difficult when we try to look up his address uh, because he lives in one of those houses that has a name instead of a number. Um, we live in a house with a name, Ivy Cottage. But of course, I'm thinking of something a bit different um, because the name on the house that the Holy Spirit lives in is your name. And it's my name. Um, because he lives inside you and me. And how can that be? How can a person live inside us? And I guess that's just one of the things we have to accept by faith. But again, Jesus said very clearly in verse 17 that the Holy Spirit would live not only with us, but, he would, but that he would be in us. And I think it's also clear from what Jesus taught that the Holy Spirit is someone that we can have a relationship with. And maybe that's something we've not really thought about much before, especially if we've um, ever thought of the Holy Spirit as just the means by which we communicate with God, um, the means by which our prayers are taken to heaven and the means by which God replies. But he's not just a messenger, is he? He might have a, a, appeared on one occasion like a dove, uh, but he's certainly no carrier pigeon. Um, he wants a relationship with you and me. Now, what kind of relationship is that? Well, from what we've read, 
I suggest it's the same kind of relationship that the Lord Jesus wants and would want with each one of us if he was right here with us today. It's the same kind of relationship that Jesus had with his disciples. And that was part of the comfort and the encouragement that Jesus was trying to give to his disciples in the upper room. Yes, he was going to leave them. And yes, at some time in the future, he was coming back. But in the meantime, the father was going to send a substitute, someone like Jesus in almost every way. Let's look at what Jesus said about him um, in the passage. First thing I think we should um, look at is verse 16. Um, uh, There's a lot in verse 16. Jesus calls him the paraclete, um, or at least that's the Greek translation of what Jesus would have actually said in Aramaic. Um, The paraclete. And it's a word that's been translated into English um, in in slightly different ways in our, our, our modern versions. Um, it, it sometimes is translated as comforter or helper, or you'll have noticed in the NIV version that I'm reading from, it says advocate, which has the thought of someone who defends someone in legal proceedings, uh, like a barrister that stands up on someone's behalf in court. The, um, there's one version called the Knox Plain English translation, which simply uses the word friend. The tra- um, Knox translates it as another friend for you. And I think all these words are consistent with the meaning of the early Greek translation because paraclete means one who is called alongside to help. And I'm sure you've heard that before, um, so I'm not telling you anything new, but if there was only one thing that we remembered about the Holy Spirit, I think this is one of the most important, one of the most valuable, one of the most encouraging things for us to remember that he's not here just to keep an eye on us he's not here to keep a record of our wrongs he's here to help us with all the difficulties and the doubts and the fears that the lord jesus knew that we'd experience as christians and he's also someone who really wants to help us grow in our faith and become everything that God wants us to be. He he wants to help us to achieve our fullest potential. Now there's another interesting word in verse 16 um, and it's the one which goes before paraclete uh, and it's the word which is normally translated as another. Again if we go back to the early um, Greek translation we get another clue about what the Holy Spirit's like because there are two words which could have been used here heteros and alos now I'm not trying to give you a Greek lesson I mean certainly as someone who doesn't really speak or know anything about Greek apart from what I can look up in um, by people who are experts in this language Um, but there are two different words which could be translated as another heteros which means another of a different kind. So like an apple is a piece of fruit and an orange is another piece of fruit, but it's not the same, is it? It's another of a different kind, yeah? And that's not the word that we find in verse 16. The word that we've got in verse 16 is alos, 
which means another of the same kind. Now we need to be careful with the meanings of ancient Greek words. It's not as easy as you might think or assume um, for even the experts to understand exactly what these ancient languages actually meant. But um, many have drawn great comfort in the idea that the Holy Spirit is more than just a substitute. He's another of the same kind as Jesus, someone who is just like Jesus. And actually that does seem to fit the context of what comes next in the passage, what Jesus says next, because in verse 18, Jesus goes on to say that he, that is Jesus, would come to them. And in verse 19, he says that although the world, the world would see him no more, his disciples would see him. And then in verse 20, he talks about himself being in the disciples and them being in him. And I think the best interpretation of all that in the context of what he's just said about the Holy Spirit is that he's talking about the unique relationship we can have with the one who is so like Jesus that in Romans 8, Paul actually refers to him as the Spirit of Christ. And therefore, everything that we know about the Lord Jesus, everything we know about what he is like, his gentle compassion, his patience, his sacrificial love, his understanding of our weaknesses, his desire for our well-being, and so on and so on. Everything that we know about what Jesus is like is also true of the Holy Spirit. And we have him right with us all the time. So that's a huge encouragement, isn't it? To know that in that sense, Jesus is right by our side. In every situation. Now, Jesus highlighted three specific things linked to the work of the Holy Spirit that I'd like to touch on this morning. He talked about his care his word, and then his peace. Let's just think about them briefly um, in turn. Firstly, his care. In verse 18, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. He would not leave them as children who had no one to care for them. I remember an auntie when I was young who was always singing this this very sad song about orphans um I, I, i'm laughing not because it's not a sad song because it, it was it's like the only song she ever sung and she only ever sung it when she was <laughs> i think when she was with me and and the chorus went i'm nobody's child i'm nobody's child just like a flower i'm growing wild no mama's arms to hold me no daddy's smile nobody wants me i'm nobody's child now, I'm not really sure she only ever sung that song when, she, when I was around. You know, nobody wants me. I think maybe she was trying to tell me something. Um, but it's a strange metaphor for Jesus to use, isn't it? He could have just said he wasn't going to leave them alone. But instead, he said he wouldn't leave them as orphans. Doesn't that just show how he feels about us? And he doesn't want us to feel like we're nobody's child. 
he knew that for each of us, there, there may be times in our lives when we when we do feel like we're on our own, times when it seems that people don't care, times when perhaps difficulties seem to be too much to cope with, and maybe times when the Christian pathway seems to bring more sorrow than joy. And he wants us to know that we have a God who sees us as his own children, a God who cares, a God who wants to hold us in his arms, and a God who smiles upon us. That's why in the words of that lovely verse in 1 Peter 5, we can cast all our anxiety on him. Because he cares for us, it says. And the thing is, he doesn't just do all that from a distance. He doesn't just look down from heaven and and uh, sympathize, he is in the person of the Holy Spirit right there beside us. And actually closer than that, isn't he? Because he's right there inside us. One of the ways in which the Holy Spirit helps us is by teaching us and reminding us of what Jesus has said. Verse 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Teaching and reminding. I emphasize the word and there because although there's a lot of overlap, teaching and reminding are not exactly the same thing. And what I like about verse 26 is that it suggests that the Holy Spirit's ministry is not limited to only reminding us of quotes from the Bible. He can teach us in whatever way he chooses, through our good and bad experiences, through our interactions with other people, through the fruit he produces in other Christians, and even through feelings which we might find hard to define or explain. But of course, I said there's a lot of overlap because he also uses the word of God to help us understand the meaning of all that. For example, uh, we know that there may be times when the hardships we experience could be due to God disciplining us. And if discipline is necessary, then no doubt the Holy Spirit would help us to understand the lessons that we're meant to learn. And he would help us to change our attitude or our behavior or whatever it is that we're doing wrong that led to the need for the discipline in the first place. But he might also remind us of what it says in Hebrews 12, that such discipline is exactly what we should expect of a loving father who only ever wants the best for his children. And we can't be reminded of things that we've never heard or read in the first place, can we? Which is why it's so important that we do read our Bibles. So the Holy Spirit can bring God's words to life for us at just the right time. Now, I think that promise in verse 26 can be fulfilled in our lives today, just as I was just explaining. But what about the first disciples? Is there anything about what Jesus promised to the disciples in the upper room that would help them and therefore give additional assurance to us today? 
I think there is, because we have the assurance that the Holy Spirit was going to be actively involved in the preservation of God's word. And therefore, we can trust in the accuracy and the completeness of what we have in our Bibles. And that's important because there are many who doubt that the Bible can be fully relied on to be the word of God. They'll point to the lack of original manuscripts. They'll point to the many differences between the manuscripts that we do have. They'll point out that the original writers were far from perfect, just ordinary people like me and you. They'll highlight the fallibility of all those involved in the copying and the translating and the deciding which writings to include. And of course, it's not hard to find inconsistencies, is it? Differences between the Gospels when they seem to be talking about the same event. The, uh, the story of the woman caught in adultery that we looked at in John 8, which may not have actually been part of the original Gospel of John. And we also have little anomalies, like the one we have at the end of the chapter here, the end of verse 31, where it says, Jesus says, let us leave. And then he carries on for another two more chapters of teaching and prayer before they actually leave. It's a small point, but many would say, that's just one of many examples that show that the Bible's a bit of a mishmash. And therefore, how could it come from an infallible God? Now, Bible scholars and critics have been debating the origins of the Bible and anomalies like these for a long time. And actually, there is a lot of evidence to give us a high level of confidence that it does substantially contain God's word but is that enough? How can we trust that our Bibles contain everything that God wants us to know? How can we view the Bible as infallible, complete and trustworthy today when it comes to us through 2000 years of fallible human involvement? It's what we read in verse 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, I know that verse doesn't answer every question, at least not to the satisfaction of the Bible's critics. But to people of faith like you and me, the promise of the Holy Spirit's involvement in the recording of everything that Jesus said is a reason to trust that we really do have God's word. Because if God was so concerned to ensure the integrity of the initial writings, it's hard to imagine that he'd then abandon his word to the fallibility of human actions down through the centuries. And for the same reason, I think we can rightly assume that that's also true of the Old Testament scriptures. And therefore, there's a lot of therefores this morning, aren't there? Therefore, we can read and enjoy the likes of verse 27 with absolute confidence. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What is the peace of God? Philippians 4 says that it's something which transcends our understanding. Well, maybe we should just not even bother trying to understand it, but we should, shouldn't we? Because Jesus has given us this as an encouragement. 
perhaps we can define it best as the quiet confidence that we can have in a troubled world. The quiet confidence that we can have when we trust in God, a confidence which is based on what we've believed and understood from God's word. The promises of God, the power of God, the character of God, the love of God, and the three persons of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who each individually and together love us beyond measure. I think my time's gone, but there is something else in the passage that I really wanted to touch on. Um, something which is very important if we really want to know the Holy Spirit's help in our lives. Because we're talking about a relationship, aren't we? And that's a two-way thing, which means we have to contribute something. We need to do something. And I'm not talking about earning our salvation, um, of course. Um, and I'm not talking about having to do something to make our salvation more secure. I'm just talking about what God expects from us if we want to enjoy what Paul called the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, if we want to enjoy our relationship um, with God. Now, I kind of knew I was going to run out of time um, to get into all of that, and I don't really want to rush through it because it is important. So um, with your permission, I'd like to finish this off on, on Tuesday because it's my turn to do the thought for the week. So um, we're going to be looking on Tuesday, um, starting with verse 15, where Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. But for now, I'll leave it there and hand it back to you.